Episode 2 of Season 2 of Bald Bull and Gold. We'll get to the Irish game. We have a lot to say. But I think more importantly, we should really look around and say, hey, college football is back. It's more than anything for me. It was seeing stadiums full of fans. I thought we had a great slate of games. Uh, Maybe not the results all of us wanted, uh, sometimes financially. And sometimes, I guess, for the Irish schedule going forward. But overall, I'd say an awesome weekend of college football. Yeah, I think, D, I think you made a really good point. Um, it, it, I think it definitely made me appreciate uh, what fans what fans in the stands look like compared to what we had last year. Um, I know some other places have called it out, but getting to see jump around in Camp Randall, um, getting to see Andrew Sandman in Blacksburg. Uh, they did the red, white, and blue game at, in Texas, at Texas A&M. And I'll even say it, I gotta give credit what credit is due as much as I despise Ann Arbor and, and Michigan, the Mr. Brightside thing was pretty cool. Yeah. So that, that was, anyway, that, that, was, was that, that was pretty awesome. It was how I was pretty pumped to have have that back. Uh and like you said, awesome slate of games, Steve. Me and you watched most of the games together on Saturday. Uh that was a really fun, fun day of college football. I think we got I think we got teased a little bit. I'm not sure we're gonna get back to that same slate this week. Well, the two thirty slate was stacked and I was so pumped for it. And none of the games were really that good, and it didn't matter. Well, yeah, two thirty, two thirty central, oh, yeah, two thirty central, three thirty eastern. Yeah, but you had like Bama, Miami blowout, Indiana, IU yeah. blowout. Um, Te- who else is Texas, in there? Texas, Texas ULL was at four thirty. Yeah, not a blowout, but not a great game. But it didn't matter. It was just so good to just be plopped on the couch for at, at least fourteen hours on Saturday. It I mean, I didn't nice. necessarily contribute to society on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it was just awesome. I, I, that's the one word I have to describe it. Uh, I think in terms of the games itself, you know, like you said, there weren't a lot of games where you look at and say, oh, that was an awesome game, like high scoring back and forth. We didn't really get any of that. More than We played the best game of the weekend. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. we did. If you want scoring, yeah. if you want close, I think that was us. Yeah. Um, I think the major theme was, you know, a lot of teams that maybe not the Alabama, they didn't struggle, but – Almost everyone else struggled in some way, shape, or form. You know, saw some big losses, Carolina, Wisconsin. You know, teams like Oklahoma barely hang on against Tulane. Mm-hmm. I, I think Texas actually looked pretty good, surprisingly to me. Um, I expected it to be kind of slow out the gate in the Sark era. And, like, watching that game, like, ULL isn't bad. 
Billy Napier was trying to coach it up to hang around, but I thought Texas impressed a little bit. And not that they're going to be a contender by any means, but I think they're going to be quicker on the rebuild than I might have thought. Yeah, I thought Hudson Card played a pretty good game on on Saturday. They obviously got the run game going too uh, with B. John Robinson. I, uh, I Texas was a bright spot for for somebody that for, for a team that did not obviously none of us really had a bunch of faith in Texas. Which we all took, yeah, we all we all took occasions. Uh, but like D said, there was a there was a lot of of shocking results this weekend. Um, I think the big ones that kind of stand out, uh, like LSU, just not really even ha- hanging with UCLA. Uh, I had a blast watching that game. I was on U- UCLA. Uh, you know, I think that LSU is somewhat uh, fraudulent, which we'll touch on. But that was a lot of fun. And then I also want to make I want to make a distinction. I think I finally, I said this to D on Saturday. I finally understand the difference between a rock fight and a slugfest. A rock fight <laughs> is what happened in the noon slate between Penn State and Wisconsin. Uh, where neither offense was pretty high powered, uh, it was just uh, some bit, probably bad offense combined with with some decent defense. Whereas the slugfest was, you could see the difference in the athletes with Georgia and Clemson compared to what you'd seen earlier in the day. That was like ice bags and bruises all week long uh, type of football game. That was, I think, while neither was high scoring as a football fan, I had a lot of fun watching those. Um, so uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate getting to see some of that. And then also one thing we didn't mention, um, possible Pac-12 contender, Washington loses to, loses to Montana. Yeah. That a, is atrocious. You know, in a pitcher's duel. That was awful. Yeah. That's so good. bad. That should never, ever, ever happen. Um, for even, for even but, Fresno had Oregon on the, uh, on, on the ropes too. Fresno and Oregon, but I think Fresno is better than Montana. And it's not, like, it's not like it's not Montana is a team that they haven't played before. Like, Washington and Montana have played. Like, they got history. You should know what you're going to get out of that team. But, I mean, I guess they're just looking ahead to Ann Arbor next week. That's pretty bad. I, I will say, the uh, what is your guys' take on the LSU-UCLA game? I, I think uh, it's pretty LSU simple. Bad? LSU bad or UCLA good? I think more LSU bad. I don't think UCLA yeah. necessarily has enough – Skill players everywhere. I know Dorian Thompson Robinson, their quarterback. He's good, but he's not, you know, they're, a leader. I think end. he was like he was like nine of sixteen. He just like Yeah. Their tight end went like eighty five yards to the house against LSU's defense. Against LSU, a supposedly better safety than Kyle Hamilton and Derek Stanley. Yeah, yeah. Where was they, he? They refused to tackle. I mean, LSU honestly looked soft out there. It's it's just kind of miraculous like how far a team can fall off two years after being the greatest college football team of all time. Yeah. You know, I was, I, I was seriously impressed. I think if there was, I, I was actually impressed with UCLA. I thought they played really well. I thought Darian Thompson Robinson uh, looked better than he did in week one against Hawaii. Uh, and they showed that they could kind of run, run the rock too. But I think it's also something LSU's defense being way, being not even really close to what they were promised to be. I will say if there's one bright spot for LSU and somebody kind of put the rest of the country on notice, on notice is uh, Keishon Butte, I think his name is the, the receiver. Uh, that guy's a dude. Uh, he he's under he's under the dude category for me uh, for sure. He was he was all over the field. I would yeah. There's one per, one person that pressed me on the Florida. Oh, excuse me, on the LSU side, it was it was him. There's one other thing I want to touch on that just it, it happens every year and that shouldn't go it shouldn't go unnoticed, but it more or less did it was Iowa State beating Northern Iowa in a rock yeah. fight. 16-10, and no one's talking about it just because uh, Iowa State's just the Matt Campbell. They're just the media darling this year. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And no one wants to like if Notre Dame they're ranked a spot ahead of Notre Dame. If Notre Dame struggled and beat Northern Iowa by six, it would be plastered everywhere. I yeah. think the talk leading into it was uh, a little bit that Northern Iowa plays in-state teams tough, and then so that's that's why I was written off. Still Northern Iowa and your Iowa State. That was to me that was not all that surprising. I'm I'm down on Iowa State this year. Uh, to the to the point where any and I I don't disagree with you that that's something that's that's said that has said like the fact that Northern Iowa plays in state in state team stuff, but Purdue comes to South Bend not next week in the week not this coming weekend the weekend after, and say we only win seventeen ten like that I don't think that's an acceptable acceptable excuse for mm-hmm. for Notre Dame to say yeah you know what Purdue plays in state team stuff like that I don't think that's gonna fly so I I don't love. I know that's not the argument you're, you're making, but I don't love that argument. It is kind of on the table. I think it's kind of kind of BS, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'd say moral of the story is there's plenty of programs that kind of expose themselves as frauds this weekend, which brings us to the second weekly Bishop Sycamore fraud of the week. Well, I'll, I'll go first this time. The team I kind of knew going into this season, hearing their fans talk a lot of shit. There's another team that caught lightning in a bottle, a flash in the pan. It was the Indiana Hoosiers last year. Which, by the way, they never really like won any of those big games. Like they shouldn't have beat Penn State. He might have been out of bounds. I don't know. Ohio State, they kept it close for a bit. Really weren't that close. And you know what? They show up week one this year. Lots of hype. They're like, you know, ranked very high. Finally, a top twenty-five matchup to start the year for them. And they just get run off the field in Kinnick Stadium. I will say, Iowa did look good in that game. Like mm-hmm. I think they moved up to ten, didn't they? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think it's. Yeah. I think and Iowa State dropped. I think. I think it's nine and ten, or eight and nine. I think it's nine and ten for the week for the match. Yeah, well, that that'll get settled pretty. But quickly. overall, mm-hmm. I'll say Tom Allen, his whole thing last year, like it, thinking that they were going to be a program that was going to stay, be on the map for a while. Fraud. No, you're not. You're the Indiana Hoosiers. You're a basketball school. Stay that way. They're not even good at basketball anymore. Shout out uh, Tom Bazzioni as well because he was all over Michael Freifogel saying he was not a great receiver after Freifogel called himself the best receiver in the country. And Freifogel has at least three or four, I don't want to call them drops, but catchable balls that did not come down. I think one of them ended up in an interception too. So, I mean, Indiana in general, I agree with you, D. Um, Indiana in general, but you're going for the spearhead Tom Allen as your pick of the week. Yep, starts at the top. It does. Um, good pick. That would have been what I would have taken. Um, I'm going to go over to what we were just talking about down Baton Rouge and, and say Edward Gerard uh, as the fraud of the week. And I kind of thought about this last year and the year before. I understand that LSU won a national championship. I understand that. That was very recent two years ago. They were not any good the year before they won the national championship, and they were instantly not any good the year after they won the championship. Joe Burrow and Joe Brady and Jamar Chase won that national championship. That is what I'll say. And Justin Jefferson. They won that national championship. Ed Orgeron did not. I understand he he recruited Joe Burrow. He got him over there. That's more so that Joe Burrow didn't have a spot in the Ohio State quarterback group. I think he's on the hot seat. I think Ed O's on the hot seat. Hot seat. I don't really think he's that good of a football coach and I think this year could go downhill pretty fast and if he gets fired I don't think it would be the worst thing for LSU so he's my Bishop Sycamore from the week 
Yeah, Ian, I, I don't disagree with you on that. I, uh, he, he, I think he he leaves a lot to be desired right now uh, with his performance. I think the next few weeks here will be quite telling. I don't know who they have on the schedule this week, but SEC SEC play is about to pick up, and um, there are some teams teams around them, especially uh, in the West, are, are getting a little bit better. I guess in the East too. I don't know who the crossover games are, but I'm thinking like Arkansas is getting better, right? Like Arkansas is only a six point dog this week, uh, or six and a half point dog this week at, at, at Texas. So I, I agree with you there. Uh, my Bishop Sycamore fraud of the week is going to be Graham Mertz. Um, the guy, the guy who stole Jack Cohn's job at Wisconsin. Also um, a former I, Notre Dame recruit. We can't forget former Notre Dame recruit. Um, I think that uh, it, it, maybe, maybe Jack, maybe this is more on Paul Chris than the fact that, that Jack Cohn seemed to have been a, a victim of this, of the program he was in, or, or excuse me, the system he was in um, that, that's just not designed to push the ball down the field. It's not really designed to take take the necessary shots. Uh, and Tom and Paul Chris was not very flexible on that. Uh, but Grammer showed this week that he was not. Um, he, he just he wasn't that he wasn't that good. And he made some really poor decisions in the red zone, uh, which cost his which cost his team probably the game. Uh, I think I was sitting on the key, on the couch with with D watching that watching the end of that game, and I think everybody in the stadium knew that he was going to try to go to his, his tight end. Uh, it, took, it seemed like if he were to come out after the game and say, once I got in the red zone, I couldn't see the white jerseys in the end zone anymore. It, yeah. it seemed like he did not see a linebacker over the middle at all. Dude, I mean, everybody in the stadium knew. Even Joel, Joel Klatt said it before the play. He's like, I think, you know, the play is going to go to Ferguson here. And, and that's exactly what it was. And I guess, you know what, again, my, my fraud of the week is going to be Grand Mertz, but Paul Chris should be looped in there as well because that's not a great play call. Everybody thinks you're going to go to your 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 number one tight end. You should not go to your tight end, or at least have a second read for for your quarterback. But Grammert's my Bishop Sycamore fraud of the week. Um, hopefully, we get some votes in it. We can see what the what, what the what the people think as far as who yeah, who, so who, the, who the real fraud of the week was. We'll but we, we have up, plenty of candidates. We we'll throw that candidates. up on Instagram and let the people vote who their fraud of the week is. Uh, maybe we'll yep. throw an other in there to get some suggestions on who else say, you guys thought were the fraud of the weeks, but uh, it's pretty fun picking out frauds, especially when the Irish flirted with it, but did not, did not end up anywhere near that category with a win in Tallahassee. Dono. I mean, thank God. I, I also, I was watching this down at the Jersey shore with some parents and, you know, I'd say the first half was fine. You know, they had the two big plays and obviously you don't want to see that. But it wasn't like what we were doing on defense or offense really wasn't working. Mm-hmm. It was more so. And it, then we got into a groove to start the third quarter. You know, Hamilton gets another pick. It's 38-0. Everyone's having a good time. You know, we think we're covering the spread with ease. We think Florida State's the same old Florida State. Then all of a sudden. 38-20. 38-20. Yeah. No. But all of a sudden, just – a switch flips and I have no clue what caused it because it happened right after we scored the touchdown. It wasn't an interception to give them at least some momentum. I honestly don't know what it was, but all of a sudden Notre Dame just starts getting the shit beat out of them up and down the field, both sides of the ball. F bomb started flying. I had to apologize to my friend's mother. Um, and you know, but when it came down to it, Notre Dame made couple more plays in Florida State and you know like we were saying just get the hell out of Tallahassee and move on to next week 
I'll take that. Yeah, I would. Uh, that was that was a scary turn in the second half. Uh, I think a, a, I think more than a few of us were were pretty excited about the number that we were going to cover uh, in, in in the next hour hour and a half, uh, and things went sideways pretty quickly. Um, I think we're, we're, we're going to talk about it shortly. I had I had kind of had an issue with the way that the second half defense was situated. Um, I think that Marcus Freeman has some adjustments and some work that he need that that needs that he needs to do. Um, but also, like credit, to, I, I I don't want to take away from Florida State because they were a better team than at least I certainly thought they were. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I could speak for most people. Um, I will say the crowd in Tallahassee bought it. It was Bobby Bowden night also, so like that shouldn't that shouldn't be ignored either. Um, and bottom line was like Jordan Travis is pretty slippery. Their running backs were, were pretty good. Jermaine Johnson is a, is another put him in the dude category. Um, and there's always a little magic in the air when it's when it's Bobby Bowden night. But added to the fact that Dylan Gabriel's playing football for the first time. In, you know, in two Gabriel. years or whatever. You messed I'm up. Sorry. Mackenzie Milton. Mackenzie Milton. <laughs> Mackenzie Milton. Mac- good catch, D. Mackenzie Milton's playing football for the first time in quite a long time. Um, yeah. So maybe it was just a perfect storm of – perfect storm for Florida State, uh, you know, to, to, to at least make this a game and rally, uh, as painful as it was. But uh, it was good. You know, I'm glad just – like D said, it, let's, glad we got out of Tallahassee alive because uh, there's yeah. some other teams around the country who did not get out of their opponents alive. It was uh, what the consensus I think a little bit from Florida State fans were yeah they were disappointed but they came out feeling pretty good um, and that makes you as a Notre Dame fan just be like okay well at least we didn't lose they feel good maybe it's a win win situation for both programs and then you digest it a little bit and we 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 would have lost that game more than they would have won it I think like Jordan Travis is slippery but we should have been in the backfield and we were in the backfield, but we got to get him on the ground on at least two of their touchdown plays. Yeah. Um, the, I hope Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman learned a little bit about the personnel limitations that they're dealing with this year. And I'm not saying that we aren't a very talented team, but the, the O-line, the run game is not going to be what it was last year. So we can go into that a little bit. Um, and the linebackers, and they, we just do not tackle like we did last year. Here's my weird take, though. Watching Jack Cohn in the offense, I and just the way college football around the country is now, I almost feel like we're more equipped to beat the better teams, but also feel like we're more susceptible to losing to worse teams. Different yep. than it was last year. I, I, I 100% agree with that, and I think it starts with you know, Marcus Freeman and the defense, when you look at Clark Lee's tenure, he gave up 30 point, more than 30 points in the game to Clemson, Alabama, and Michigan in the debacle game. But that mm-hmm. was it. It was the playoff winning teams and then just one debacle. And maybe that's Marcus Freeman's debacle. I wouldn't – I mean, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, Especially, you know, like you said, we need to get adjusted to the types of players we have on defense, their limitations. Another thing is that, you know, Notre Dame cannot simulate how slippery Jordan Travis is in practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Jack Cohen back there. And, you know, Buckner, I, you know, while he's a great athlete, is not, you know, short, quick, slippery like Travis is. 
And, you know, when you're seeing, I, I guess that's their first game speed, and it took them a while to get acclimated. Even though we were in the backfield a ton, you know, we couldn't bring him down. And then going back to, you know, we were in the backfield a ton when we lined up four down linemen. They weren't able to block us at all. We were living there. We gave up, I mean, we missed probably five more tackles for losses that we could have had. And then the switch, they started gashing us in the run game, something that we haven't really seen since I think back to the start of 2018 season or 2019, sorry, against Louisville when they were just gashing us in the run game. And, you know, we didn't really figure it out by the end of the game. We kind of got lucky in overtime that they got away from it a bit. They dropped the snap. That should have been a fumble, but you know, it doesn't yep. matter. Uh, just o- overall, it's very frustrating to see the defense. You know, we lost a couple players. You know, we're down almost three linebackers already. From color me concerned. Yeah. I am color, concerned about that. Color unit. me con- color me concerned as well. Yeah. we'll get we'll get we'll get to that. But- Especially when Kelly says outright about Prince Kali, he is going to be trusted more than we ever intended to trust him. Yeah, like, it wasn't like he threw confidence his way. He's like, not nah, this is the situation. Here's what we got to deal with. Especially, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 concerned about that unit. I uh, I I will add to some to some of the things that D said. I think it, this is just a symptom of. I think Clark Lee played a really really structured defense uh, that didn't take a lot of shots and said we're just gonna keep everything right in front of us. Whereas I saw Marcus Freeman rolling the dice a lot more, um, mm-hmm. and he got he kind of got cooked on it a few times. So here's a. Uh, something that Pete Sampson tweeted out on Saturday night. I thought I sent it to you guys. I guess that's somebody else. But uh, Notre Dame's defense allowed, allowed three 60-yard plays in three years under Clark Lee. Irish have allowed two tonight under Marcus Freeman, his debut. So that's, there's that, that deep shot down the left. Like, we right. never and, saw Clark Lee play cover one like that. Right. And, and playing cover one, and, and that kind of speaks to the personnel thing where, like, I thought that Cam Hart had a really good game. And obviously, Kyle Hamilton is um, – Made in a lab. He's made in a lab. He's not human. But but the counterparts on the other side of the field are both extremely human in Clarence Lewis and Houston Griffith. So playing cover one, I don't think that – you know. It, I, I said, is that the joke that we're going to keep – that other teams are going to keep picking on Houston Griffith and we're going to kind of allow it? Um, he, is the, he didn't make the strides that I thought he necessarily made or that we thought or we as a group thought he made. Um, and he got exposed on that on that long shot down the field. Um, and it, you're right, it was a cover one. Uh, Kyle Hamilton was over the top. Travis looked them off, made a good play. But, like, Griffith got cooked on that. <laughs> it was a vert switch, and, and he got beat bad. So he, looked like, he looked like a linebacker chasing a like a slot receiver. Yeah. Like he just looked he big had, and slow. He was a few steps off, and and, and that's that's concerning. So that's, that's kind of somewhere where I would like Freeman to – to make an adjustment. I know his defense is to play fast and to play physical and to not think, but may not be the worst idea to slow down and think for a second. Why cover two, why cover two, especially on, on long passing downs, maybe a better bet. But in addition to that, I also want to kind of talk about the, the linebackers, which we all said we're, we're concerned with. Um, I think another personnel thing that, that Freeman needs to realize is that, his linebackers are really, really good going north south. Like they, they, I think they they fill inside gaps really well. Um, they hit hard. Drew White spent a lot of time in the backfield early in the game, but one thing they do not do very well, um, just f- like physical limitations, because they're not Jalen Smith and they're not Jeremiah Jeremiah Usukormoa. 
and they're not the athletes that that maybe Leofau and Pryor is that are inside linebackers. Drew White and, and Bertrand at this current current juncture do not go sideline to sideline very well, um, and and that that hurts uh, because usually you have at least one of those guys who, who who's a little bit more athletic and, and a little less bulky, and, and right now they, they kind of fill the same the same role. So while Ian made Ian said the thing about Brian Kelly where he's he said we're going to trust Kali a lot earlier than than we anticipated trusting Kali getting his athleticism on the field may be just that important. Um, he's listed at number two on, on the two deep this week at the will right behind JD Bertrand. Uh, I still think JD Bertrand's your starter. I think he gets the majority of the snaps, but I also think when you're listed as the number two at the will linebacker in this defense, that means you're going to get a lot. Uh, you're going to see the field not infrequently. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what he brings, especially against we have two weeks to figure it out with Toledo and, and Purdue, in my opinion, before, you know, I think the bright lights come back on. But uh, those are the two glaring, glaring like personnel things. I think Freeman needs to kind of adjust his scheme to, to fit. You got to fit the personnel a little bit better. And then the last thing, like everybody else on the planet was really frustrated with it. And, you know, there's got to be a method to his madness, but why you only go with three down linemen for – for most of the for most of the second half was was mind boggling. Uh, I don't know why FSU ever stopped running the football. Uh, they they look really really good, and it's really tough to fill those gaps with you know with those with just three with just three guys. So um, I just think, and, and you know, it's it's just like everybody else. It's a learning experience, right? Like you're growing into you're growing into a, a different job. Um, and also, let's let's not let's not discount the fact that if there's anybody in the country who knows how to figure out a, a Marcus Freeman defense, it's Mike Norvell. Um, like he did spend time at Memphis and played against Cincinnati a whole bunch, so don't overlook that fact. Um, but yeah, I think there's certainly some things on defense that I'd like to see uh, addressed. Do you guys want to go to positives, or do you want to touch on one more negative with the with the defensive line before we go to positive with the uh, with the offensive line before we go to? Just just really quickly on defenses, just one name that who when he was on the field last year seemed like he was everywhere. That I don't think I heard his name once on Saturday night was Jack Kaiser, starting rover, the guy who theoretically should be everywhere. Didn't see him, didn't hear him, you know, that which is strange because he was a guy, you know, when he got the chance to play last year, even though his third string seemed to be everywhere. And Isaiah, Isaiah Pryor, who is someone that can run sideline to sideline, uh, he, he showed up a little more, which I was kind of surprised about with those two. But, yeah, let, let, let's move on to the offensive side of the ball. I'd say the major disappointment here, kind of the only disappointment on the offensive side of the ball, outside of a couple Michael Mayer drops, was the O-line. You know, Tom, you're our resident expert here. The lack of experience showed, you know, it's not like physically Notre Dame doesn't have the dudes. We recruit very well, much better than Florida State. It just didn't seem very cohesive. There's a couple miscommunications. Couldn't get any push for Kyron or Tyree running the ball. It was just strange. Yeah, I, uh, real quick, Slav. Like, yeah, just yeah, as a note, first. once, like, once that offensive line, once that pocket breaks down for Cone too, he's a stick. He's yeah. not. He's not moving anywhere like Book was last year or Travis was in that pocket. Like, he he did the best he could. But he's not gonna pop out back like do the little stip in and then pop out backwards that Book did all the time last year. Like if that pocket collapses, he's not gonna be able to improvise anywhere near where we might need him to improvise. Yeah, so you know, I kind of agree with you in that on that that 
Cohen is just not doesn't have the same internal clock that that book does uh, book kind of has had a sixth sense around him that that kind of allowed him to slip out of the pocket um, kind of feel pressure um, but I think with that also came a tendency to leave the pocket early which meant that he wasn't throwing the ball down the field and giving a chance you know giving his receivers a chance to get all that open um, whereas I think Cohen stays in the pocket um, has the internal clock and in that he doesn't make bad decisions with the ball he doesn't yeah I'm not really worried about strip sack I'm not worried about bad like a bad grounding i'm not worried about uh, you know bad decision with the football down the field it's just that he's giving he stays in the pocket a little longer um kind of commits to that and then uh and, and then i guess that with that comes some pressure and and his his, his really inability to escape the pocket once it starts to collapse so i agree with you there um as far as the offensive line uh is concerned i think that there's one thing that Kelly touched on, which I think I overlooked during the game um, and certainly plays a really big role in, um, in, in your ability to – I'm sorry. There's something that Kelly mentioned in his press conference on, uh, on Saturday night uh, was, the, was the crowd noise and how you have to run on a silent count when you play in, play in these games, like when you play in Tallahassee, when you play in Ann Arbor, when you play uh, in Athens. Like you have to run on a silent count. Um, and running on a silent count makes running the football really hard uh, because you kind of lose the the thing that makes the off that gives the offense the advantage, right? Like everybody knows the snap count when, when when you leave the hustle when you leave the huddle. So when you don't, when not everybody's everybody's kind of guessing on the snap count, you, you're no better you're no better at telling when the ball is going to be snapped than the defensive Slef, line across from you. Yeah. Real quick, you want to just quickly explain to the people what a silent count is versus a yeah. I'm snap sorry. Count. So snap count, so snap count is something that comes from the quarterback that kind of lets the entire uh, offense know when the play is going to be uh, when when the play is going to start effectively. Um, sometimes in the snap count, things like sending people in motion or adjusting protection are things that kind of happen in the, in the snap count. When you play in, like we said, when you play in loud environments on the road, uh, oftentimes the offensive lineman, even if Cones five yards off the ball, cannot hear their quarterback. Um, and that's kind of, uh, that's kind of a, it's kind of an issue. And that's, that's kind of what causes, uh, offsides. That's what causes false starts. So, uh, when you go on the road, you run on a silent count, which basically means that the center and basically it's usually the center of the guard and the, one of the guards and the quarterback are working together, um, to kind of, to kind of let the center know when to snap the ball. Usually you'll see it where the guard is looking back at the quarterback, the quarterback kind of gives them the, okay the guard will tap the center and then the center kind of snaps it at his will sometime in the next, you know, small time frame of say two to five seconds. Right. Um, but like the point I was just making is everybody on the field knows that it's going to happen in that two to five seconds, just a matter of, of, of when the center decides to snap it. And and that's kind of way, where you lose your advantages offensive line, especially in, 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 in the run game where you can't fire off the ball and, and make the first move against, against the defensive lineman. And I think that definitely showed, and it's why we got, why we had a lot of trouble getting reestablishing the line of scrimmage two or three yards down the field. Like we had in previous years, right? Like, like, and then, and, and getting better with the silent snap count just comes with experience and which is, which is the other issue here. Like, uh, we had we had some guys in there who had not played a college snap, like Blake Fisher. We had some guys who only have limited college snaps, like uh, like Lug and Corral. So, you know, I, I think just the more the more time, like we said, the more time this unit has to gel, the better they'll get. But I thought that those two things, experience and 
and kind of losing losing the hard snap count that you can have uh, in a quieter environment certainly hurt them uh, a lot, and it showed because the running game was, for the most part, dismal. Um, and I don't think it was for a lack of effort from Tyree and, and Kyron Williams. I also will say one thing I want to add is no SIBO last week. Um, mm-hmm. is something that I kind of think gets overlooked. Uh, Kyron T and 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 Tyree move move very very well. Sebo kind of is a little bit of a bigger back, bulkier back, who would have maybe had a little little bit easier job or a little bit easier of a time getting north south. So I think that you know that shouldn't be overlooked either. Uh, onto the better of the offensive line, maybe this is where we got to flip the switch on on how we're talking about the game. On the better, I thought they did a really good job in pass protection for the most part. Um, pro football focus only, I think, only credited Florida State with one quarterback hit, I think, um, which I, I think I was a little confused by that stat, but I'm sure they have metrics. But that's, that's still pretty good, right, to only, have, to only have one. And I did think that Cone had some time to get rid of, to get rid of the ball most most of the day. Um, so I think, I think pass protection is just naturally easier. Uh but uh, I, I will say that I didn't think they did, did a terrible job there. I thought if there was a bright spot for them. That was it. But the run game is certainly something that I think we all wish we established a little bit better. And that starts with them up front. I think they'll hopefully they'll get better. But definitely something to look forward look forward to uh, as as that unit gets better. I think uh, my bright spot was the guys that we wanted to see something from. We saw something from, and I'm talking obviously Michael Mayer, the only person that can guard him is himself in his hands when he drops the ball, which hurt. Um, which he's had some drops in the past. Hopefully it's not going to be a re- reoccurring thing. But uh, he is unguardable, as we saw in the first drive and throughout the game. Kevin Austin, I mean, that was awesome to see. Like, great catches. The one down the left sideline where he kind of bobbled it, made that – that's an unreal catch. Even just, like, getting up with, like, a, a six-yard hitch route, like, with two yards of space that Coke could put it in there for the first – like, it is awesome to see a dude that athletic on our side of the football, like on the offensive side of the football for Notre Dame and Jack Cohn. Like we got a, we got a dude back there. I think like he can lead an offense and it's going to be a different offense than we've seen in the past. And it's going to be kind of exciting. I think, cause he could throw a deep ball. Yeah. I mean, the throw to Austin was just oh, so God. Oh I mean, perfect spot. The DB was on him. He only really had a step. And Cohen dropped it in perfectly. Like, you know, no offense to Ian Book, and there's some things Book does a lot better, but I mean, I don't think he could have made that throw. Mm-hmm. Like, just I, I, I never saw it. I mean, it would more or less Ian Book would throw a jump ball, but hitting a guy in stride on the way to the end zone. The only one I can like somewhat think was kind of similar was Chris Fink against USC back in 2018 to the corner. But yeah, it, I don't think it was quite as far. That's over the middle of the field too. He didn't have yeah. to push that to the literally to the pylon to the yeah. outside over the defender, where only Kevin Austin can catch it. Exactly, and I, I think you guys have touched on it. Is just it was pretty apparent, uh, even with the O line struggles, is that Notre Dame has weapons in uh, all around the offense. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyron Williams, while he did struggle to run the ball over eighty yards in the touchdown in the passing game, I love seeing that. I think once we have Sebo back, I think that'll give us the depth and opportunity to have a lot more of those two back sets so that we can get that, you know, almost perfect personnel grouping of Lindsay, Austin, Mayer, Tyree, and Kyron Williams. I'm excited Do to see. Do we know that. when Sebo might be back? Um, if I had to guess, it was the same press release they put out for COVID last year. 
And so. that would be my guess. I am not speculating. It's just a guess. Uh, do you, was he on the two deep today? Did anybody see? I know because I know Patello was not on the two deep, um, and he was obviously on the injured. He was on that list last week. So yeah. if Patello wasn't, and we think it's COVID, I would expect the Patello that Patello yeah. was also missing this one. But I'm not, not quite sure. sure. I'm not quite uh, sure. I, I can pull it up shortly, but I I, I will say uh, that. D, D, I think you said about you texted me the other night. Um, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but uh, when when Cohen threw that ball to to Austin down the sideline, uh, D texted me and he was like, "That was nephew ball. Like that was. I am here to play. I am here to prove why I shouldn't have lost the job at Wisconsin, uh, yeah. and why I'm a pretty damn good quarterback. That was uh, that was a really really good ball. I also think that there was some other like the Wilkins ball. I don't know if you could have thrown a better ball i just think it was like not that was smart ball yeah Yeah. i don't i don't i don't know but but hell of a play by wilkins uh i think Lindsay made some good catches too uh and was able to move sideline to sideline pretty well kyron out of the backfield for for that score was sweet took a pair to guys ankles and then threw the stiff arm which was which was awesome so like we said like i think this offense has weapons in a way that we've seen them that we haven't seen them have weapons in a long time right like uh, I think like Claypool was a weapon. I don't think that Boykin was necessarily a, a phenomenal weapon. Uh, um, I'd have to look back to guys like Will Fuller and Josh Adams and, um, mm-hmm. and CJ Procise. And, and like, I'd have to start looking back towards that talent group as far as uh, guys who could kind of hang on this, hang on this offense with uh, the skill positions. Maybe I'm wrong. Probably... Dedicate like at least three minutes a week to just the Kyle Hamilton corner. I was I was about to say like That's, we have yeah, to we touch go on defense. Yeah. Kyle Hamilton. I mean, I mean uh, yeah, he got looked off that one play, but he made some of the more impressive plays I've ever seen on a football field just in one game. The second one, the one everyone's raving about on Twitter, you know, they we had their running back, I believe, matched up against a demo or something. Someone was ch- kind of chasing him downfield. Dude was wide open and would have walked in for six. If not for Kyle Hamilton making like the most unreal play a college safety has made in years, like just straight up, he went he uh, went halfway across the field while the ball was in the air, yeah. and then to make the catch and get him bound. I mean, he oh got my. two knees down and a foot. What, oh dude? My. Like, <laughs> oh my! How? Um, I will say too, like he had the two picks, right? And I thought the second one was was otherworldly, but. The third pick that we had as a team, I believe Clarence Lewis was the one who officially got the interception, but caused by Kyle Hamilton. Mm-hmm. He's the yeah. one to flip the ball up in the air and it became, you know, became a tip drill. So all three turnovers caused by Kyle Hamilton, uh, which which was sick. He was he was all over the field. Um, I think this was not that we were missing this, but like I, like I think we all watched Kyle Hamilton play for the last few years and could appreciate it, but like he didn't always fill up this. And he and he was and he was a difference maker and he changed games, but I don't know if he, know if he necessarily filled up the stat sheet the same way that he filled up the stat sheet on on Sunday night. So like that's really exciting because that uh, for those who don't want to watch Notre Dame games or those who don't watch Notre Dame games, uh, he'll be really hard to ignore when when you also go check the box score and he's got three picks and a bunch of tackles and, and a bunch yep. of pass breakups. So uh, awesome for him. Uh, the only other person I want to touch on on defense uh, was Foskey. I thought he played better than. Uh, that maybe we were led to believe or had a bigger role than we, than we were led to believe that he would have. I thought he played really, really well. Uh, maybe you guys, D, maybe you disagree, but I, th- I thought he played 
Uh, I thought he had a pretty solid game. I, I, I thought he proved the people wrong. There are people in camp saying that Foskey, right. you know, had a poor camp. He came out two sacks in the first half. I think he had eight tackles total. He, he was really good. But And also on those drives where Florida State was running ball, he wasn't on the field. Yeah, you're right. For whatever reason, we took him off, and then they started driving. I think you know, physic, he's our he's a proto – like, he's built in a lab to be a rush end. Like, yeah. why are you taking that guy off the field ever? He proved he could handle himself in the run game. Like, I don't know. I I, I think we may have I, – I get trying to keep fresh bodies. I get it was, you know, Tallahassee in September. But at some point, you know, you got to have your dudes on the field in crucial drives. I think seven. I think seven and fourteen, if possible. Fourteen proved he can do it. If seven can stay on the field for more snaps, like if his body, if his body can take it, if he physically can do it, then he's got it. He's got to stay on the field. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. I just want to say one more good good thing. Jonathan Dork, keep doing your yeah. thing, dude. Like, yeah, the unsung hero. Water, like just carrying on the wheelbarrow. Like the South Park wheelbarrow, just anytime he needs to kick a big field goal. So good, good for him, man. Uh, it was, uh, it, it's, it's nice when you kind of when he steps up to the plate and you kind of don't, you worry every time just because kickers are kickers. But I, you know, it felt felt a lot better about it uh, with him with him stepping up to the plate. So good for him. Yeah. Kudos to him. Was, also, just real quick, congrats, Mackenzie Milton. Congratulations, yeah. that was pretty cool. See you back in the fields. Um, I needed to mute a little bit so I could watch the game and like just not talk about his knee the entire time. But uh I hope I like I think both those quarterbacks play. Jordan Travis, I he looked a lot better than I remember him looking. And like he it kinda sucks that he got hurt for like or Hama came off for one play and then he was done because it didn't I don't think he did anything to to lose the job during that game. He made some some damn good plays. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely did. I, I think we'll definitely see both quarterbacks for FSU going forward. And, and hopefully they can rattle off some wins because I was gonna say, about, the rest of our schedule took a hit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think, we're, I think we're Florida State fans for, for the rest of the season here. Like, mm-hmm. let them let them get hot. I think a lot of people are still saying that they're like a 6-6 six and six team. I think they're a little – I think they proved they're a little bit better than that. Um, so, I'd yeah. like to see them – I'd like to see them start rattling off some wins, especially when the rest of the ACC struggled. Uh, for the weekend, right? Like, I think Virginia Tech was, like, one of the only winners because they played another ACC team. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, Shall we move on to – Go ahead. Can we do do one more thing – or two more things, and we can make them really quick. Avery Davis not having having a target or a catch. Interesting. Interesting, to say the least. And then the other thing that's driving me nuts – this is maybe more of a personal thing for me, but why can't we do fun things on special teams? Like, yeah. why do we have to fair catch every kickoff and have our starting running back be the punt returner? Well, I think I think having Kyron back there was a function of both having a guy who's experienced, someone you trust, and you know he has more big play potential than Salerno fair catching it. I don't know if there was necessarily one where he had a huge opportunity because there was the yeah. one he tried to return for four yards. Yeah. And also, pretty sure Florida State's kicker put most of them in the end zone. Correct? I'm fine with not taking it out of the end zone. I thought there was there was one or two that Tyree yeah. had in front of the goal line. Yeah, yeah there was one that was a line drive. They, they changed the rules where it's just not – it's rarely advantageous for you to return it. And then my thing with Kyron Williams is Kyron Williams is, is a playmaker. Like, I, like he has his experience. I want him back there instead of Salerno. 
but then why not Tyree? Like, I think Tyree has a little bit more game-breaking speed, and obviously you don't want to lose either of those running backs because they're both, you know, damn near close to starting running back. But, like, I don't know. I don't I don't love having 20 – I don't know if having your start at your true starting running back back there. Well, there's somebody the, better than – there's somebody better than Salerno, right? There ha- yeah, there has been, that's that. my point. Yeah, there's somebody better Lawrence than Keys? Also, Lawrence Keys? I don't – Lorenzo Styles, Lorenzo Styles, anybody. I just want to have a little bit more fun on special teams. That's all, that's yeah. all I ask. But we can, we can move on. I guess that's a transition into like what we want to see. This week. Yeah. There, are, there yeah. are some adjustments to be made. Sure. Yeah. So Toledo coming to town, obviously a nice break. You know, it's not the week two opponents we've had in the past, the Georgias or whatever. It's a Mac team, but it is a solid Mac team. I, I, I think that's good. We shouldn't be playing just the, you know, bolt, the terrible Bowling Green teams, the teams that, you know, a mid level Power Five team could show up and be a 56 0. This will be a test. In some ways, we're going to be more talented, but it's a team with a good coach, good scheme. It's it's not going to be the easiest game. Like, I think it could end up going like, for example, there's a chance it goes like a Ball State game in 2018, for example. Yeah, yeah I think, I think uh, yeah, yeah. it's like it's another chance for our defense to get some difficult reps. Uh, the Toledo offense is pretty pretty fast. It's pretty good. Um, I think this should be should be a high scoring game because I think they are they are formidable. Um, which I'm with you, Dono. I don't know if when we scheduled this game, we knew Toledo was going to be as formidable as they are, but uh, yeah, it's it's I'm happy that they are actually a solid MAC team that can hopefully get us better, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, like I said last week, like I got I have the Rockets for uh, for a win total over and to win the Mac. Like I, I do mm-hmm. think this is a, this is a really solid team. I don't expect this to be one of those wins. I really hope it's not. Um, but I think like they're returning. I think they're returning almost a hundred percent of their starting twenty-two. Um, so like they, they got dudes who've played before, and of that, um, all, all those their starters last year went five and one. I think they were six seconds away from going six and out. So they're uh, they're not. They're definitely a pretty good team. Like you said, they play fast. Um, I th- think. They got a lot of guys. I think they had five, all five running backs get carries. Less. I mean, given they won, they won forty nine ten against North Fork State. But I think all three quarterbacks played. All three running, all, all five running backs played. Um, so I think this is definitely the best MAC team that we will have bought in in quite some time. And I don't think a Bowling Green type game is out of the question. I hope it's a little bit better than that. But yeah, I, I think this is not something to necessarily take lightly. Um, not quite Wisconsin, but definitely. And I also, you know, I really agree with your, your point there where like your defense gets some live difficult reps. Um, I think, I think that that is certainly the case. And this would be another, another test for Freeman. albeit a little bit easier than last week, but still will be a, a solid test. It helps that South Notre Dame stadium should be rocking. I think should that should be, be an awesome environment. First game back. Uh, I, I'm excited for that. Are you I'm going? Are there. You? I'm not. Okay. I cannot go, unfortunately. Uh, but I hope the NBC does the broadcast that Fox did last week. Like, show the people some of the crowd, you know, like th- two or three minutes. St- shut up, bro- broadcasters, and let us hear the crowd for a little bit, like Fox did for Jump Around or Enter Sandman and stuff. Like, I want to see some of that environment on the broadcast. Yeah, I think it'd be really cool to see a field level view of. Um, kickoff right like or like yeah. right before kickoff when they're playing you know here come the Irish and, and into shipping up to Boston like yeah. I that would certainly send chills down my spine uh, and oh, I yeah. can't wait to be in South Bend to do that in person 
that would be excellent. And just, you know, just the crowd shots with touchdown Jesus in the background. And you don't see just an entirely empty stadium. Like last year is like, especially for the games that weren't even like the first game of the year, it was like the Louisville, the USF. You're like, you know, this isn't Notre Dame football. Like the team's on the field, but this isn't why we love Notre Dame football. You know, you want to see the student section all wearing the same color, like all that. By the way, what color is the shirt this year? Is it green? I have no idea. I can look it up. Yeah. Oh, well. Should be green. I like having the green. It pops a lot more than the navy. Uh, It is green. It it is green. It is indeed green. Okay, good. Just in terms of stuff I want to see is just run the damn ball. (laughs) You know, I guess there might not be as much cohesiveness. I think Carmody is moving into that left tackle spot. Um, You know, we might – there's a chance we see freshmen come in. I know Joe Alt is backing up at right tackle. Tosh Baker is – backing up at left tackle. I guess Carmody's a redshirt freshman. Kind of mm-hmm. seems like he's been there forever. It's probably because of his brother on the basketball team. But just the name's been around. But it'll be interesting to see. Like, our offensive line is young. Like, there's Kane Madden, but I guess a better word would be new because Madden, you know. Which we, yeah. we did talk – admittedly, we talked about that yeah. not being a problem last week, but – Yeah, it was a problem. It, well, it's more of a problem when, like, people go down and get hurt and – yeah. Um, again, once again, I don't think me and Josh Lug will be grabbing a beer together anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, they're still they're still better than Toledo. I mean, it's still physics versus it's still Toledo football. You know, it's Toledo. Just run them over. They don't yep. eat as much food as you do. <laughs> yeah, I would say that um, uh, I, I was a little critical of Carmody, especially when he first came in the game. I think it t- took him a second to get his feet under him, and then he got kind of blown by. Uh, on a stunt early in the game. But I will say, like, I think it was Tyree who ended up punching in the touchdown on the goal line, our only rushing touchdown. Carmody Carmody had back-to-back pancakes on the goal line, Mm -hmm. um, which was, like, encouraging. Uh, I I think one of the – I think the second one was on Jermaine Johnson. So, um, he's a big dude. Uh, I I hope that he can kind of settle in. Uh, Obviously, when Blake Fisher's ready to come back, Blake Fisher's ready to come back. But – I, I I think I, I actually feel a little bit more comfortable than I thought I would with, with Carmody there. Um, again, just going to take some time for these guys to gel. Um, I think you got a really good leader in Jared Patterson. I know some of the videos, like some of the behind the scenes shots kind of showed him bringing everybody together um, and kind of command, commanding, commanding the attention of the offensive line. Um, I think he'll need to continue to do that kind of lead from the front as the captain and, and as the senior guy on that line. Uh, I hope he does that. I think that these next two weeks will be pretty important um, to get things figured out before we head to Chicago for sure. Lots of online talk this week. Yeah. People are getting a a crash course and how to run a uh, competent online. All right. Should we move on to picks? Start with Notre Dame? End with Notre Dame? What do we think? Start with Notre Dame. Yeah. Start with Notre Dame? I think we start with Notre Dame. I like finishing with the lock. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good with me. Uh, Let's do – let's – all right, so the first game of the week here, we'll pick Toledo at Notre Dame. The line is 16 and a half. Uh, that's what it was on ESPN this afternoon. Um, so that's where, that's where I go off of, which is kind of important because it's on the right side of the football number. Um, the game's 2.30 on Peacock, uh, obviously at Notre Dame Stadium um, for all those. But going to the game, I know we have a few buddies who are going. Go make it loud. Um, go, make it, go make it the environment that it should be. Um, I'll kick us off. Oh, actually, also, one thing I want to mention uh, – we all hit our locks last week. We were, we were 3-0 yeah. as a podcast again on locks. So that's a oh, yeah. 
something we should we, we we try to pick the most difficult games of the week for for most of the, for most of it, and then we make sure make sure you take a peek at our locks for sure. All right. Anyways, I'm going to take Notre Dame uh, in this game. I think that they are going to. Uh, I think they're going to get better. I think a lot of teams that, that struggled last week will kind of open up in week two um, and and have better weeks. I think that Notre Dame is definitely one of them. Uh, like D said, let's run the damn ball. Uh, let's get Kyron and, and Tyree and crew rolling a little bit um, and, and open some play and stuff up from Jack Cohn. And, and let's let the de- defense settle down a little bit. Nothing too complicated. Let's just get back to basics and, and, and hopefully just play fast uh, like Marcus Freeman wants to. Uh, for a score prediction, I I will go 35-14. So that, that puts you at, um, what, 49 points? Yes. What's the what's the over-under? I don't know. I'll have to get that off the track. Because I, I think it it's – 56. It's 56. That's pretty high, actually. Um, I – of course, I I still have I'm scarred from not taking Notre Dame against USF. So this this time last year I was not on the Irish. I'm gonna be on the Irish, uh, but I do think Toledo puts up some points. So I would say take the over. But as you said, Slev, I think we still try to establish the run game with yeah. the offensive line, which could slow the game down um, and and lead. So I guess I have no feel for this game other than Irish minus seventeen. You got scared last week, D. Yeah, my, my initial thought when this line came out was that 17 seems about right. And the, the more I think about it is I think it might be an overreaction almost to how bad Notre Dame played. One thing we didn't touch is a lot of this stuff is fixable. It's not like Notre Dame doesn't have the dudes. We have the dudes. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that hurt us is I'm not necessarily going to be worried about J.D. Bertrand and uh, Drew White running sideline to sideline against Toledo as I was versus Florida State. I, I think this is a game that's suited for them. Toledo's going to be a solid team. I do like the over, but I, I, I think this is a game Irish win by 21 to 24 points. I'll go 38-14. Final. In the same ballpark. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there, D2. Like, everything – the idea that things are fixable should not be lost uh, in, in a lot of the negatives that, that we mentioned uh, during, during, our, during our get things off your chest session earlier. Um, all right, next game of the week we're going to look at is Oregon travels to Columbus uh, to play Ohio State in the horseshoe. It's uh, game starts at noon. I believe that's the Fox game, uh, big noon kickoff. Ohio State is favored by 14 and a half. Um, some would argue on the wrong side of a football number here. Uh, yes, please. Did we have, did we have a uh, – Ian, what do you like? I'll take the Buckeyes at 14 and a half. Um, and I would take them. I think I'd take them at like 21 and a half too. Um, yeah. Not, and this isn't like, yeah, Fresno hung with Oregon with Oregon last week, but Fresno had a game on Oregon. Like they had already played live football. Oregon's still a good team and they won the game. Kayvon Thibodeau did get hurt, who is probably the best defensive player in the country, probably the best player in the country. And I don't think he's going to play. Um, I don't think he's going to play which leads to C.J. Stroud having more time to find three different wide-open receivers. And I will take the Buckeyes to put up at least 50 points. Like Chip, so like, Chip said, like, like Chip says, get off the bus and put up 40. Yeah. So, so this over-under is sitting at 63.5, and, and I think I'm not going to take it as my lock, but, like, I mean, the, that number is getting – 
blown out of the water. I don't think Minnesota, anyone would consider them to have a high-powered offense. And they still put up over 30 on Ohio State. Like, you know, I, I think Oregon's going to be able to more or less do what they want on offense, but just not quite enough. I, I just don't think they'll get stops on defense. This was a number I struggled with just because I, I just can't see an Ohio Stadium. Like, this will be Oregon's first time playing on the road in two years, and that's not the easiest place to go to. So, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to go with the Buckeyes as well. You know, 14 and a half is tough, but I, I think they'll be able to get there. I think they'll pull away late, similar to how they did against Minnesota. Yeah, like I mentioned, we're on, some would say we're on the wrong side of the football number. Uh, I don't think the 14 matters in this game. I think the number that would matter would be closer to 21. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable taking Ohio State here. The difference for me is, like he had said, is even if Kayvon Thibodeau plays, he's not at 100%, and, and we know that. Uh, the fact that he's still that, you know, it's still questionable now and will be questionable tomorrow, uh, they probably won't t- tell us whether he's not going to play until, until Saturday morning. Uh, the fact that it's even that, you know he's not going to be 100%, um, and I think that's, that definitely hurts because – on top of having giving CJ Stroud time to throw the football, uh, their run game also looked really, really good. And Thibodeau would be a really important piece to stopping their their run game. The freshman running back, I forget what his name is off the top of my head, but he looked that dude can fly. Um, but Trayvon uh, Henderson, Trayvon, Trayvon Henderson, yeah, yeah, Trayvon Henderson. He's the, he 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 might fall into the dude category again. Also, the second thing is that their the Oregon quarterback is Anthony Brown. Um, and Be nice. Be nice. I'm going to be nice, but he's not He's not Marcus Mariota. And for that reason, I'm on the Buckeyes. Um, all right, next game. Uh, Iowa, uh, Iowa travels to Iowa State. Uh, this game's 430. I think it's on ABC. It's uh, Iowa State's favored by four and a half. Who do you guys like in this one? I think this one's kind of interesting. Easy for me. Iowa State frauds. Iowa, not as much of frauds. I, I think they've. I think there's probably been a whole lot of disrespect thrown Iowa's way this entire off season, especially in state. Just like, oh, uh, like Iowa State's better than you've ever been. Blah blah blah. And I think they come out pissed. This is going to be a weird game. I agree that this game will have some weird plays, and it's just going to be kind of that Big Ten, Big Twelve clash of styles. Although Iowa State isn't you know, run and shoot Texas Tech, but There'll be some weird plays here. You can guarantee that, but I, I like the Hawkeyes to get within four and a half. I don't see Brock Purdy throwing two pick sixes, so it will not be the same game they played against Indiana last week. This one is a really tough one, I think. Uh, I think it's one of the hardest games to pick all weekend because it very easily could be an overreaction to the Iowa State line last week, and they still won. Um that being said, I have an Iowa State under. I think they can't handle the hype, and I don't think they are as complete of a team as we really think. I'm going to take Iowa, and I'm, it might be a little bit of a nine sprinkle. Because if you cover four and a half in a rivalry game, you're going to be in. I mean, you're going to be in position to potentially win it. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go opposite you guys here. Um, in in the idea that. Uh, I wanted to jump when I first saw this. I wanted to jump all over Iowa, um, and then because because I was so anxious to jump all over Iowa, I kind of need to take a step back and say, hey, why 
are you just overreacting to to what happened last week against Northern Northern Iowa for Iowa State? And that's exactly what was happening. Uh, mm-hmm. I still think that they have. I think that Matt Campbell's a better coach than Kirk Ferentz. Um, I like Brock Purdy. I like Brees Hall. Um, I don't like Brock Purdy a lot, but I like Brees, Brees Hall a lot. Um, the game is in Ames, um, which I think is important. I think home field advantage definitely matters in in this game. Uh, four and a half is a little bit bigger than I would have wanted it to be. I would have felt more comfortable at three or three and a half, but uh, I still think Iowa is the game. Uh, I don't have a good score prediction here. I think it's, I think it. I think they're going to win ugly. I, I don't. I also like the under in this game, uh, but I'll go. I'll go with the Cyclones uh, to win. Uh, maybe be a contrarian uh, this week, uh, just just because I think a lot of people are going to overreact to Northern Iowa to the Northern Iowa, Iowa result. I just want to like say that game in general. That was not gambling advice for me, and I had to make a pick there. I, <laughs> yeah, I had to say something. That is not. <laughs> Just yeah. so if if the if SEC is investigating, I did not offer gambling advice there, nor am I authorized to. All right. The next game we're going to look at is Washington going to Ann Arbor to play Michigan. Uh, I believe that's 8 p.m. Saturday night uh, in Ann Arbor. I think that game is also going to be on ABC. Uh, I think this game was touted to be a lot better than it was going, you know, than it actually – it actually turned out to be. Uh, this was a game a lot of people were looking at as uh, as uh, as the, the, one of the best games of the week. Um, I'm not sure that it ended up that it, that it turned out the way people wanted, but I still think it'll be a pretty good game. Um, who do you guys like in this one? I would like to stick my finger down my throat and barf when I watch this game. Um, now that obviously I hate Michigan, I'm not a huge fan of Washington given what they did last week. I would I would love to bet on Washington. I really would. Like Ian said, this is a game I have to make a pick, and I just think whatever magic Wisconsin or not Wisconsin Washington had under Peterson back when they made the playoff run, um, I, I think it might have run out by now. I don't know if Jimmy Lake's the guy who's going to be able to keep it going. Uh, I guess I'll take Michigan. Yeah. Uh... I'm gonna probably play this, and then as soon as it cashes, burn it. But I think I gotta take, I gotta take the Wolverines, especially in the big house. It's the we saw what 110,000 people could do last week against Western Michigan. I mean, it's gonna be I'm pretty sure it's a night game. It is. Yeah. yeah, that's gonna be a wild environment. Um, Michigan didn't look fantastic, and the loss of Ronnie Bell I think hurts them. But they looked a lot better than they've looked in the past, and. Yeah, Washington just can't. I mean, give me Michigan. Give me Michigan. Um, all right, so I'll give you Michigan. I'm going to be the contrarian again here, um, and I'm going to take the Huskies on a few principles here that I never bet on. I never like. I'm never going to take Michigan in the game. Um, I just, I just, I just can't do it, especially with, um, especially with Harbaugh at the helm. Um, I think that. Kind of still have to realize that it's uh, it, is it McNamara or is it McCarthy who started last week? It was McNamara, and then yeah. McCarthy came in and did some cool things against Western Michigan's twos, and everybody went crazy. Cool. All right, so I don't trust either of those guys. Um, yep. There's another thing, and losing Ronnie Bell really, really, really hurts. I think, um, and I think that's that's a bit of a bit more of a of a problem for Michigan than maybe people realize. Uh, with that said, there's got to be – and I didn't watch the Washington game, so I guess I can't speak to this factually, but 
there's got to be a reason that people have them as a big as a Pac-12 sleeper, right? Like, there's got to be some reasons that experts, well-accredited people, saw something on Washington that would make them a, a, an appetizing pick for for the Pac-12 North and to win the Pac-12. So for that reason, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but hopefully they bring it back out. Uh, I think last weekend was a little bit fluky, and I'll take the Huskies um, in Ann Arbor. All right, last game we'll pick before we go to locks. Uh, Texas goes to Arkansas. Um, I don't know when this game is. I believe it's Saturday. I think it's early on Saturday afternoon. But Texas goes to Arkansas. Arkansas uh, Arkansas is six-and-a-half-point home dogs. Uh, Who do you guys like in this one? I think I got to stick with them, right, after last week. (laughs) They helped you out big time last week. I mean, after Arkansas down 10 in the third quarter, comes back cover 19-and-a-half against – Rice, you know, it's Rice. But I don't think the people in Fayetteville have had a game this big in quite some time. And because of that, I, I think it's going to be a raucous environment. Texas is starting a freshman quarterback. It'll really be his first time in an SEC slash big game environment. I think Texas still wins, but it might be by a field goal. I'm going to stay with the Hogs. I... I said Texas looked very good, impressive last week, and I think they did, but it was at home, and it was against Louisiana, who's a good team, but they're not an SEC team. Um, you know who's playing well for Texas was our boy Ovio Guolfu. He, he was. Looked, he, he looked good. I'm still – I'm going to go with Dono. I'm going to go with uh, the Razorbacks in Fayetteville. I think it will be an awesome environment, uh, and hopefully they can keep it close. I'm going to be the contrarian again. Uh, I really, I actually really like Texas in this game. Uh, I thought Hudson Card played really well last week uh, among uh, against a pretty good uh, ULL defense. He was ranked one of the top quarterbacks um, last week, and, and I think I think that carry, kind of carries over. I think he's definitely the right guy for their offense. Um, like I said earlier, I'm a big fan of B. John Robinson. Uh, I, I think that their defense looked really good, um, and I don't think last week was fluky for them. I thought last week was kind of a step in the right direction for them. I don't think they're a top 15 team, uh, but I don't think I have a problem with them hovering around the, you know, the, the 17 to, to 22 ish range. Um, and, and another win here will kind of keep them there. Uh, nothing against Arkansas, but I, I do. Uh, I, I like them. and I like Sam Pittman, but I, I just think that Texas I, I, te- I think Texas will, will, will win this game pretty handedly. Uh, the scare that, that, that that Rice put into Arkansas last week is now scaring me. But, yeah, I'll go with the Longhorns. All right. Is it D. About time? It's, it's, just, it's just about that time. Uh, D, do you have a pick? For the lock of the week. Yeah, your lock of the week. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. I'll say there's a number of games that I feel very confident about, which is scary. So usually I can't decide. But one in particular – See, see, like, for example, I'm, this isn't my game, but South Carolina minus a point and a half against East Carolina. I'm not picking that, but that one doesn't make sense. What I'm going to go with is the Rutgers Scarlet Knights just hung up over 60 points for the first time in who knows how long. Syracuse under Dino Babers has just been terrible. I have no faith in them. It's in Syracuse, but, like, there's no atmosphere in the Dome. I think Rutgers, Shiano's bringing them back. Minus two and a half is what I'm seeing right now. We'll go with them. I like that. I, I do love like that. that pick. Love that pick. Love that pick. Hey, Shiano's, like we always say, Shiano's building the wall, building a wall around New Jersey. 
and he's yep. making James Franklin pay for it. <laughs> <coughs> All right, Ian, who do you like? Um, again, this is – I hate – I hate what I'm doing here again. I bet on Michigan this week, and I am going to go to Southern Cal and bet on the Trojans of USC. And this is not because of the Trojans. This is just a fade Stanford play. Uh, my lock of the week was Kansas State last week. It was all over that, and they were all over Stanford last week. Stanford never had a shot in that game. Looked even worse than I might have thought. Um, and I think USC is pretty talented, but I'm still just fading David Shaw. It's a 17-point line. Um, I don't think I'm alone in this, but I'm going to be all over that. Yeah, that might be a game where, where more than a few people are on the – Quarter, quarter, half total, and and end of game, uh, and live. Uh, I think that David Shaw can get added to the Scott Satterfield auto fade play uh, from here on out for the rest of the season. I'm going to give Satterfield a pass this week only because he has Eastern Kentucky. But uh, for the, from here on out, uh, David Shaw and and Scott Scott Satterfield are, are almost auto fades. Uh, my my lock of the week is. D, I'm actually going to touch the game that you you mentioned here. Ooh. South Carolina goes to uh, goes to Eastern Carolina. Uh, I thought that Eastern Carolina did not look as good as people thought they were going to against a pretty good App State team, but I also think that may be a symptom of Chase Bryce having a pretty good game and finally finding a spot that he likes. Um, so, and I think that ECU is still really talented. They broke they broke off break off play early. Um, I don't think South Carolina got a win last week, which is like good for them, but I don't still don't think they're a very very good team at this point. Uh, and the fact that they have to go on the road uh, is is concerning for me. So ECU, I got ECU plus one and a half. Uh, oh, I was gonna, I, I was gonna say the the other side Beamer, is gonna be the other way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah it's, it's it's Beamer there, right? Like it's Beamer, yeah. Beamer's the coach. I don't and I don't, a graduate student starting at quarterback, right. not not graduate transfer, just like student. he was he was coaching for the first. Zeb Nolan. No, he played yeah. he played college football before. Do not sleep yeah. on my Zeb Nolan. Yeah, but I don't I don't trust Beamer as far as I can throw him. I think this ECU team's actually pretty good. Uh, just had a rough week in Charlotte against against App State against a pretty good quarterback. So I'm, I'll take the Pirates uh, plus one and a half. Um, there is one other pick that we want to give out this week. Uh, for those of you who listen, who listen to the Cover 3 podcast, you know, they have the dentist who gives out pick. Well, we got somebody in our ranks uh, close to the pod who happens to be pretty good at this thing. So we're going to let him give out a pick every week under the anonymous persona of the kicker. Uh, the kicker's pick this week, um, and you guys will want to listen closely to this for those who made it this far, is Pitt um, – is the who, who's Pitt playing? Pitt's playing Tennessee. Pitt, the Pitt Tennessee under the game is in Knoxville. Uh, Jill is still the quarterback for Tennessee. He really, <laughs> really, really, really likes the under in this game. Uh, I think it was he got it at 57. I think it's down at 56 and a half. But for those who are listening and those who hear this early, uh, go get that that under uh, in the Tennessee pick game. Let's not post the kicker's pick. Let's make people have to listen no. to the yeah. well, to get the kicker's no. pick. The only time the only time the kicker's uh, pick gets posted if he, if it's an agreement with one of our other picks. If there's, if he's in yeah. agreement with with somebody else on the board, we have got a little icon for him for the graphic. Um, but cool. he was, he also he also did really like USC. I have to we have to mention that. But his his official lock was was the Pitt Tennessee under. So that that line is moving. I saw the Pitt Tennessee line at under fifty seven and a half earlier. Now it's at fifty six and a half. So yeah, um, get, get that pick. Get in. it while you can. Get it while it's hot. All right, fellas. All right.
Let's let's improve this week. Let's get let's better. Improve this week. Let's, let's get run better the ball. As a, let's get better as a team, a podcast, a listening group. Let's just all improve. Yep. Run the ball. Stop the run. It's simple. That's all it is. Well, hey, let's, uh, let's win the line of scrimmage this week, yeah. No, yep. no and leave and leave no doubt. All right, me. All right, so, uh, Talk to you later.